You're listening to Argy's Poetry Pickle Jar. Hello and welcome to Argy's Poetry Pickle Jar, the only place where we pickle the poems that matter. Each week we call on the world's greatest poets to come in and share a poem they think is the bomb. And each week we find out why they love it and why it inspires them. This podcast is for all the people who say they don't get poetry to let them know that we don't get it either and the fun is in figuring it out. Today's guest is a British-born Cypriot poet, fiction writer, essayist, publisher and poetry educator. This guy reads more than anyone I know and it shows in the poetry that he's produced. His second collection, After the Formalities, was published with Pen in the Margins. It was a Poetry Book Society recommendation, shortlisted for the 2019 T.S. Eliot Prize and was also a Telegraph and Guardian Poetry Book of the Year. He's also uh, the publisher at Outspoken Press and runs the night Outspoken. It is, of course, Anthony Anaxagori. Welcome. Thanks, man. Good to be here. How, how's life in lockdown? Yeah, no, it's, it's all right. Like, I think I've just been I've just been in my office with just me um, and um, a lot of people on Zoom. So, yeah, it's been it's boring in that I like I miss people. I miss actually seeing people smelling aftershaves and, you know, like listerine and stuff like that but now chewing gum but now it's just coffee cups and green tea man well how do you having done like loads of workshops in real life hmm. and then workshops on zoom like how do you compare them do you do you miss real life or i just miss the fact that people know when to talk in real life and in zoom everyone's like oh no no oh, sorry you go <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you go no no please you go <laughs> and the classic you're on mute yeah, 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 that's the best. <laughs> and it's the most awkward thing. I love watching people kind of squirm and go a bit red when they're like, no, no, sorry, please. No, 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 you go. You go. <laughs> I know. There's so many awkwardness about Zoom. The other thing is if someone's reading, they don't know that their, their internet is bad. Yeah, yeah. They could finish a whole poem and for half of it, it's just like... It, it, uh, oh. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I do that, and then they're like, and then you're just like, sorry, John, I, I, no one can hear what you're saying. <laughs> Was that all right? Did you hear all that? Yeah, yeah, we got it, man. All crystal, nice one. <laughs> when you when I told you to choose a poem, like talk us through the process of choosing. So this poem has, it's one of these poems that I I could I read when I'm having a tea, or I read I, I think about it when I'm walking down the street. Like it's one of these poems that I don't particularly think it's like a kind of a massive conceptual, big philosophical, like it's, you know, juggling 101 things. It's not like Cirque du Soleil, but then at the same time, um, it's one of these poems that just gets you. And I think the first time I read it last year, I was just like the simplicity, but the profundity. And it just felt such, it felt such like a, an honest, not confession, but it was a reckoning, a reckoning in like the purest sense. Like it was, you were in somebody's feeling as opposed to in somebody's head and you were just going around the houses with it. Um, and I love the interplay between, you know, mortality, motherhood, children, friendship. Like there's so many themes running through it. Um, That's good, man. Why don't you read, read the poem out loud and then we'll discuss it. I was going to read it out softly. 
<laughs> Why don't you read it at a really soft, I was just whisper. about audible way? Yeah. What's it? ASMR, isn't it? When they just whisper everything to you. <laughs> um, all right. So this is called Hold Fast by Robin Be- Beth um, Shire. It's S-C-H-A-E-R. Shire, maybe. Um, sorry, Robin. So it's called Hold Fast. The dead are for morticians and butchers to touch. Only a gloved hand. Even my son will leave a grounded wren or bat alone like a hot stove. When he spots a monarch in the driveway, he stares. It's dead, I say. You can touch it. The opposite rule. Butterflies are too fragile to hold alive. Just a brush of skin could rip a wing. He skims the orange and black whorls with only two fingers, the way he learned to fill the backs of starfish and horseshoe crabs at the zoo, the way he thinks we touch all strangers. I was sad to be born, he tells me, because it means I will die. I once loved someone I never touched. We played records and drank coffee from chipped bowls, but didn't speak of the days pierced by radiation. A friend said, let her pretend. She needs one person who doesn't know. If I held her, I would have left bruises. If I undressed her, I would have seen scars. So we never touched and she never had to say she was dying. We should hold each other more while we are still alive, even if it hurts. People really die of loneliness. Skin hunger, the doctors call it. In a study on love, Baby monkeys were given a choice between a wire mother with milk and a wall mother with none. Like them, I would choose to starve and hold the soft body. Yes. It's big. And you know what? It feels mad. I don't know why, but through the pandemic, a lot of people are writing about the pandemic, but all a lot of poems I come across seem to just echo with the time that we're going through i don't know whether that's the poem or just that the time we're going through is so dramatic that it seems to pull in poems with it let's talk about some of the reasons why you like it so much so like i say it's one of these i mean with um the poets org like the academy of american poets i subscribe they you know they send you a poem a day and i usually read it while i'm having a tea and i find that the poems don't require too much of you um but they're really kind of potent and make you think and so i just really like them as that kind of like you know a shot of espresso kind of thing um and what i love about this is how she is the the radiation i think that word for me is a huge turn in the poem because you think it's about mortality and her kid and this kind of reckoning and i know i can relate to that because you know i wrote a poem uh, things already lost where my kid asking me about life and death and so i think when kids realize or they get a sense of time they start to, you know, are you going to be around forever? Which is what my kid, when he was about, I think, three and a half, four, he was like, are you going to be my dad forever? And I was that floored me, man. Like, I literally destroyed me. I did not know what the hell to do. And I don't know. And I think this poem does a lot of that. Like, it speaks into those places and the corollaries between uh, mortality, intimacy, touch, like all those kind of things there, really. It's the radiation. And once you get that, we played records and drank. There's something almost like diary-esque or nostalgic. It's, it's playing around the landscape of memory, um, around friendship, 
and just that what you do for your friend let her pretend she needs one person who doesn't know um and i i don't know there's something about i think we spoke i spoke about this around with andrew mcmillan as well that when people are dying but i think of max ritvo i think of matthew sweeney yeah max ritvo, that book yeah like when they're writing books but reckoning the fact that they know that within the next six months they won't be here <clears throat> it does something to the nuance in the language and you get the same <clears throat> when i read poetry by um refugees that has been translated from arabic and they're talking about you know conflicts or trying to cross borders and this and that there's no nuance and then you get the same in the war poetry as well when you read Wilfred uh, owen and sassoon and whatever else like you realize that things are just so urgent and direct and i wonder then i'm not saying that that's common with everyone but with a lot of those poetries it's very very direct and this has that element to it is that when something is so immediate nuance almost does a disservice to the thing that you're trying to what like move around yeah i agree so i was listening to someone on the verb and they were saying i can't remember the name of the poet but they were saying to him poets should be more like solicitors or lawyers they should be staying away from irregularity and they should be just direct and saying as it what is yeah man yeah i mean i i really have an issue with with essentialism like people just trying to say this is you know like to try and just say poetry should only be one thing like it yeah. should be, i think it's ridiculous and for me you can be direct and still be complicated like the, yeah. the, i think there's there's a there's something in that you know like of having lines that lyric lyric is a good example like a lyric a lyric you Ocean Vong, um, Ilya Kaminsky, like you get the lines, you get what they're working around. But I, yeah. I, feel, I take issue with anyone who tries to say poets should be doing this as if like, you know, everyone needs to conform to some kind of maxim that one person has set. I'm just like, no, man. Like, I, I agree. Yeah. I also think like in our time right now, uh, with so much uh, misinformation and layering of uh, narratives on top of each other mm. uh, it gets more and more it feels like a disservice to reflect in very straight ways uh, problems because now problems are so multifaceted they're like super complicated for sure and and something always has to get jettisoned like that's the you something you have to compromise something if you're going to write a poem about i don't know coronavirus you can't write about the entire thing and I think like, I always go back to what Jericho Brown says, um, that poetry is an approximation. And I love how liberating that feels for me is the fact that you can, we're not writing a thesis. This is not a dissertation. This is not, you know, like you're not getting marked on it in, in the way that you would if you were writing something empirical um, or something, you know, I, I kind of feel that we're making art and you're allowed to blur the edges. Like it's fine to work around something as opposed to going into something. And, I, and for me, that's super liberating um, to know and to have permission to not have to tie everything up, to not have to be overly, you know, super logical. I think what I like about the Hold Fast poem is, is the interplay. That's what gets me. And it's the, it's the surprise from radiation. Like I said, you think you're going down this road of the kid reckoning with life and death. And then all of a sudden, a friend comes into the frame and it completely turns the poem upside down. And yeah. it's, more the, it's more the mind of the poem as opposed to like the way that the language is working. Yeah, because I think the shifts are 
they almost feel natural, but they are still relatively drastic. Yeah. Um, even up to those last four with the baby monkeys, mm. which was quite a risk, uh, leapwise to take it in that direction. Yeah. Um, and also quite on the nose as well. It, it was one of these ones where I, I don't know if in a study, like, I mean, that happens a lot. And what that is for me, and again, this is just something that I've seen. I read a lot of American poetry that fuses essayism. And I mean, I do it in, in a lot of my new work, I'm doing it now as well, where I'm taking maybe registers or tones that you might find in an essay or in a, in a piece of journalism and throwing them in. So, yeah, so like on a piece of journalism, you'll see in what, what one study suggests, cool, let's bring that into the poem and see what that does, because then it creates this idea of not just specificity, but you're also dealing with something that feels bigger. Now it's left the personal, and now you're into theory. And you know, like people like Maggie Nelson, Claudia Rankin, they all do this. They, they balance anecdote and theory um, in a lot of their work. And I think that fusion is what we're seeing a lot of, particularly someone like Kathleen Graeber, The River Twice, um, and Carson like you see a lot of these things that almost fusing registers and tones and it creates a really nice kind of composition for me anyway like I really enjoy that I remember I read a book called The Art of Voice which was about that making people feel like they're in the pub with you they're reading an article they're yeah. watching a tv program and it's all around the same thing but they're only doing that through register and but again, it just it adds it adds an extra element of surprise in the turn. I mean, it's a skit, this is what doctors call it, and it gets theoretical from people really die of loneliness. And then she brings doctors into it. Then it's the study on love, baby monkeys. So it kind of does follow like a, a system of logic there, but it's it's moving away from I hold my friend who's dying to people, and then it becomes broader. I think the people opens up the end of the poem, and it makes it far more general and universal. And then we get into this in a study. It doesn't tell you what study. It's just in a study on love, which, you know, how broad and general is that? I mean, who does a study on love? But we no, don't it's care. quite colloquial, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you don't care. You're not, you're not interested in, like, you know, I want to know what kind of study was done and who carried it out and blah, blah, blah. But you just, you go with it. As a thought, that's nuts. Like, you know, let's, let's do a study on how love works, you know. There's a really good poem, man. Thank you so much for bringing that in. No Appreciate worries. it. No um, and stay safe. Cheers. You too, man. Hold Fast by Robin Beth Shire. The dead are for morticians and butchers to touch. Only a gloved hand even my son will leave a grounded wren or bat alone like a hot stove. When he spots a monarch in the driveway, he stares. It's dead, I say. You can touch it. The opposite rule. Butterflies are too fragile to hold alive. Just the brush of skin could rip a wing. He skims the orange and black walls. With only two fingers, the way he learned to feel the backs of starfish and horseshoe crabs at the zoo. The way he thinks we touch all strangers. I was sad to be born, he tells me, because it means I will die. I once loved someone I never touched. We played records and drank coffee from chip bowls but didn't speak of the days pierced by radiation 
a friend said, let her pretend. She needs one person who doesn't know. If I held her, I would have left bruises. If I undressed her, I would have been scars. So we never touched, and she never had to say she was dying. We should hold each other more while we are still alive, even if it hurts. People really die of loneliness, skin hunger, the doctors call it. In a study on love, baby monkeys were given a choice between a wire mother with milk and a wool mother with none. Like them, I would choose to starve and hold the soft body.